Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I'm not a perfect person. This Bendrovsky Show Benny J bonus interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Bonus time on the Bendrovsky Show as I speak. It's Friday, May 22nd, 2020. The headlines all talking about the political standoff in the state of Illinois. Uh, this is a headline in my beloved bright one. Skeptical downstate judge may still get uh, crack at governor's stay-at-home order. Man, this the hang em high judge, Judge Michael Mahaney. One more time, I will never get caught doing anything remotely wrong in Clay County. I gotta go before that guy, hang em high judge, Michael McHaney. We, uh, we'll take a deep dive in McKinney and uh, Darren Bailey and all the interesting characters who are leading the MAGA hat resistance in the state of Illinois against uh, J.B. Pritzker. Uh, we'll do that with our distinguished guest. And as I ask all distinguished guests on Bonus Time on the Ben Jarofsky Show, I ask them, please introduce yourself. So guest, introduce yourself. I'm Eric Zorn. I'm a veteran columnist from the Chicago Tribune, and I steal my ringtone from the Ben Jarrasky show. That's correct. Uh, yes, this would be the same Eric Zorn that I really unfairly uh, accused of stealing my ideas in a show I did last week. I uh, just uh, we we each wrote the same column. Uh, on the same week. And then Eric, classic Eric Zorn style, uh, you rebutted me point by point in an email showing me the timeline. This, when my story came out, your story came out. So you vindicated yourself, Eric. Uh, you have been acquitted of all charges. You feel good about that? I feel good, yes. I'm free as free as a bird. No, it was, <laughs> uh, it was interesting. The thing is, I, I thought it was a really interesting topic. I mean, just to refresh the listeners' memories, uh, we don't memorize our columns. Uh, I wrote about about the accusations that Tara Reid was launching against Joe Biden, and I said, "Okay, fine, but let's talk about the very credible rape allegation against." I mean, there are a bunch of allegations against against Donald Trump, mm -hmm. but there's a very credible rape allegation against him, and let's not lose sight of that. If it's gonna, if we're going to have to pick somebody who's more rapey than another, let's look at Donald Trump. Uh, and then you did the same column, and I think we posted on the same day. And your column went into a lot more detail than mine did. You really laid out the case of why that why that rape was a pretty plausible allegation. And uh, and of course, I imagine you got the same kind of hate mail that I got on it, which was you know people people saying that you're trying to make an excuse for Biden and that the Democrats are hypocrites and they don't believe women and the whole nonsense that you do about that. Uh, it was an interesting time. Yeah, uh, it was uh, E. Jean Carroll is uh, the woman's name. She's a, a actually a fairly significant journalist from back in the day. She, uh, if you take a look at her bibliography, this, the the articles she's written, books. She wrote a biography of Hunter Thompson. Well, things I know, uh, Eric. 
so I would say uh, it's it's a little difficult to just dismiss uh, her allegations. And uh, she wrote it. Of, I don't know. Did you did you read her article or full article that was in uh, New York? It was OK. Excuse me. It was an excerpt from a book she wrote, which I've not read the book. I plan to get it out of the library. Uh, when libraries open. Uh, but I read the excerpt that was in New York Magazine. Uh, did you, by any chance, read that excerpt? I read the excerpt. And I did not read the book. Also, I read the excerpt that was in New York Magazine that where, I took, where I took my information and quotes from, too. Yeah. Well, we're, we're we're bad people not buying the book right now. Well, I will. I uh, I will. You know what? I think I will buy the book. I want to support her uh, fellow journalist under siege here. But it's interesting. I wasn't actually planning to talk to you about this, but this is what popped into my mind. The difference between a journalist uh, confronting a subject, uh, trying to be sort of funny about it, and a uh, plaintiff in court. So sort of the tone that she takes in the book uh, almost dismisses the uh, attack uh, to a certain degree. And um, there's a, she attempts to uh, put uh, leaven it with humor. Uh, and it was obviously a very, uh, it had a, a profound impact on her life. And she's followed up with a lawsuit, uh, trying a, a defamation lawsuit against Donald Trump, who said it was all lies. So right now they're in court. As I point out in my story, the judge has to rule on uh, a request by T uh, E. Jean Carroll to force Donald Trump to turn over his DNA so they can compare it to a sample of something that's on her dress with overtures to Monica Lewinsky and Bill Clinton. So this is a very important case, uh, but I don't know if you noticed that, like the tone was a little different in the article than uh, her tone has been in the lawsuit. Did you notice that, Eric? I haven't read the lawsuit, so I don't, I, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, the tone is, it's chattier, right? I mean, that's, and it befits her whole reputation and her career as a, advice columnist and someone who's, who's very comfortable communicating with people in, in that way. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I find her, I find that whole story very believable. Uh, I don't think the DNA that's on her, is it a coat or a dress that she has? I don't think it's, it's, uh, um, uh, unwholesome DNA. I think she just thinks that it's, it's, uh, somehow, um, like he touched her dress or something like that. So that I'm not sure, all that, all, what that would establish, other than that they had physical contact of some sort, which doesn't mean that it was a, a rape. But yeah. you know, it's like, I, I when, when the, one argument that people make is like, hey, you know, this was this was baked into the price of Donald Trump. Everybody knew that he was this kind of guy, and so we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be offended. We should just say, well, this is what he did. This is who he is, and people voted for him anyway. Everybody knew that he, you know, that. The uh, access Hollywood tape is no surprise. This is not, you know, people know Joe Biden is sort of handsy and overly friendly, but nobody thought he was predatory. Uh, there was no allegation he was predatory until until Tara Reid. So, so it, that changes that narrative, whereas this just reinforces a, a, a known narrative about Trump. So. Well, the, the portion of the story that both of us hammered on, and uh, is. What I feel is the double standard on the whole issue of discussing, uh, discussing the behavior of politicians toward women, male politicians toward women. Uh, it's an issue that the Democrats must confront. Uh, it's not an issue that the Republicans confront. For the point, 
just to follow up what you just said, it's just sort of baked into who Republicans are. Well, that's just how Republicans behave. Uh, our voters don't care about this issue. We've, the Republicans have shown this time and time again. Uh, down in Alabama in the special election, uh, Roy Moore, the, who they uh, nominated to be their uh, candidate for Senate. This is not an issue that motivates Republican voters. Even now, there's there's not even the, the slightest inkling of a debate on the Republican side as to whether it's appropriate to have the president, uh, the leader of the Republican Party, have uh, an accusation of rape. And that's just one accusation. Whereas on the Democratic side, there's debate, there's discussion, there's analysis. So that's why, you know, Eric, I, it, I just, I always feel compelled whenever I write about these things to point out, well, this is just a debate that exists on basically one side. Do you agree with me on that? Well, yeah, it's the Democrats all fighting with one another. <clears throat> a lot of the mail that I got on this came from the far left, the people who, uh, who were, I think, still hoping that if somehow... Uh, Biden could be shamed into resigning that this would elevate Bernie Sanders to the nomination. And that's just not going to happen. And, you know, Bernie Sanders is not the number two pick of the Democratic Party, the way the party's organized. This is not like, you know, if you're the first runner up and the winner can't fulfill his obligations, you get to take take away the crown. This is a situation where the Democratic Party says, look, we, we wanted a moderate and we have nominated a moderate, and if he doesn't work out, uh, then we'll, we'll just pick another moderate. We'll stick another moderate at that point. Uh, you know, Amy Klobuchar is going to do that, but it's not going to be Bernie Sanders. So, but, but there's a lot of agita on the far left about this. And, and, and one of the things that, that they point out, which I think is plausible, which is that if we had known about this back in December or January before the Iowa caucuses, before, before Super Tuesday, that the party voted, that all the party forces that aligned behind um, Biden at that time would have thought, well, this is going to be just too much of a problem. Let's find somebody else. And I, I got to say, I'm in that mindset. I was in that mindset too. I'm, I still sort of am. I, I think it would be nice if the party could find somebody else because I don't. I, I have some questions about Biden's uh, ability to ma- manage things and run a campaign. I, I was disappointed today. As, it's Friday, and he, he goes on this talk show, and he says something like, if you don't vote for me, you're not really black. And it's like, well, that's just a dumb thing to say. I think, isn't he no better? He's been in politics all his life. He doesn't know any better than to say that. And and I just wonder what kind of gaps are going to come out of him in his campaign, and whether the Republicans are going to successfully portray him as someone who just is unfit for the presidency. I, I, I worry about that. Yeah, uh, I think his exact quote was, "You ain't black." I think that's what he said. Uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll resp- even better. Yeah, uh, I'll respond to this, and I, I've I've come to this conclusion. And uh, when my, by the way, to, just to finish up where you were saying, uh, my lefty friends, my far lefty friends who come at me go, uh, "Ben, we we get rid of Biden. We get we got to be Bernie." I I voted for Bernie. I'm a big Bernie supporter. Everybody knows that it's not going to happen. Uh, Bernie Sanders was as painful as this is for me to confess, Eric, and confront, he was rejected by roughly two-thirds of the Democratic electorate. And he did it even worse this time than he did against uh, Hillary Clinton. I voted for him each time. To me, he's one of the most courageous politicians of my generation, and I really look up to him and admire him. But the reality is the rest of the Democratic Party didn't see it the way I saw it. 
Uh, so they're not going to replace Joe Biden with Bernie Sanders. So using Tara Reid's accusation as a leverage in your mind to get Bernie uh, put in the ticket as opposed to Joe Biden is delusional. It's just not going to happen. I'm with you on that. Uh, and I'll go one step further. I've now come to the conclusion that no matter what Joe Biden does, no matter what Joe Biden says, no matter what comes out of the closet about his past, it won't matter, Eric. I do not believe Democratic voters are swaying in any way. They are determined to oust Donald Trump. They're determined to undo the damage of 2016. And they just see Joe Biden as the perfect kind of candidate uh, for that task. And you watch, I'll bet you as in the days that unfold with the response to Democrats, uh, by Democrats to his latest gaffe, uh, that the one he did today, you ain't black gaffe will be very similar to what you hear from Republicans regarding to Trump. Oh, that's just Joe Biden. That's just uncle Joe. That's just how he goes. And they'll roll with it. That's my guess of how things will go down. Well, I, I guess I got to say, I hope you're right about that. Um, and it's only fair, I guess, that the parties are playing this way, that if the, if the Republicans are going to go, oh, that's just Trump, then the Democrats are going to have to, are not going to have to make the perfect the enemy of the good. And I do think that, that I mean, I don't even know how good Biden is. You know, I have, I've certainly, uh, I think I've said this to you in, in emails or conversations, Biden wasn't my first choice. He wasn't my second choice. He wasn't my third choice. Uh, but, you know, I I think I ended up voting for him because it was at that point it just looked like, what, what what's the problem? Well, I mean, there's no there's no race anymore. By the time I got to Illinois, what didn't even matter anymore. Right? So I, I just wanted to have a little bit of show of strength for him. But I, it was important for me that the party gets behind him because uh, I do I do feel that way. I have a, another thought for you here that maybe the news today about Biden was good news for Kamala Harris. Um, something that, you caught me off guard with a, that one. Why do you say as that? A, as a vice presidential nominee. So now he's going to have to take Kamala Harris? Well, I, I don't think he's going to go with Stacey Abrams. I, don't, I think that, that her lack of experience in government is probably going to be too much of a mark against her. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that I, I do think that when you make a, ga a racial gaffe like today, it makes it a little bit more important that you make it up to the to, to black voters. Uh, and so I just, if, if, if today's, if today's remark has any impact at all, it might be to push him more toward, toward Kamala Harris. I don't know. Well, I, I'll put this out there and, uh, Joe Biden's a regular listener to my podcast. So I know he's listening. Uh, he will be listening to this Joe. I, I don't know how you can not nominate a black woman. I've said this all along, Eric, uh, Joe Biden's, uh, part of Joe Biden's electability, part of the reason why he, uh, was able to defeat Bernie Sanders, he had widespread black support and was particularly helpful on Super Tuesday. And he has that uh, widespread black support in, because he was sort of the Robert Culp character in the updated version of I Spy. I'm really showing my age there. I think Eric may be the only person listening who knows what I'm saying. <laughs> I know the reference. Okay. <laughs> Everybody else is like, huh? What the hell? I Spy. Yeah. And so I just think it just makes sense. Keep it going. You had a black man at the top of the ticket, and Joe Biden was the, the dutiful uh, wingman. And now Joe Biden's at the top of the ticket. You have to have a black This is how I see it. I felt this all along, 
And uh, my personal favorite is Stacey Abrams. I never thought he was going to take her. I've always thought that uh, he was going to to choose uh, Kamala Harris. But this this notion that he's like flirting with uh, Amy Klobuchar as a, a nominee just really scares me, Eric, because I just see it as Tim Kaine part two. I just I know my lefty uh, friends. There's no way they're going to get fired up. <laughs> they're going to get anti-fired up. Uh, over uh, Amy, Klobuchar, uh, Amy Klobuchar, and I just believe that it would, it just would be a dud in um, among uh, uh, black voters. Too. Do you have a favorite? Your personal favorite that well, you the, hope he chooses? Per, uh, yeah, I per, my personal favorite would be Elizabeth Warren. I think she'd be she'd be great. I don't think the the politics work out for her. Um, so, you know, and and uh, I wonder about about whether Harris is going to. I mean, Harris is got some problems you know her, her record as a prosecutor uh is gonna is gonna haunt her a little bit but the fact she's an african-american woman i think will will play well and there and there are there's a great segment of african-american voters that are not far left at all i mean they're, they in, in many ways are a moderate voting block uh, you know, politically their position so so she might she might work i i'm very impressed with her uh, in terms of like her ability when she was doing some questioning of um Kavanaugh and things like that. I thought she was very sharp. I can imagine her in debate just ripping Pence to shreds. So I, you know, I guess if I had to advise Biden right now, I'd probably tell him to take take Harris. Uh, you still would. What's that? You still would advise him to go with Abrams? You think? Yeah. No. I. Yeah. Uh, I would advise him to go with Stacey Abrams, and he would tell me to, you know, go f myself. Uh, I, I don't think in a million years he's going to take Stacey Abrams. Uh, and I, I, if I, I all along I've been predicting he would take would select uh, Kamala Harris. And your point about uh, his latest gaffe sort of underscores. That. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, uh, I, I, I think he's going to take a Kamala Harris. I'll be very disappointed if he doesn't take a black woman, he's already said he's going to take a woman. And I just feel as like the, Dem I don't know, Eric, I just feel the democratic party in a sense owes it to black women. Um, and I say, this as a, you know, we'll have this discussion about journalists admitting their, uh, who they vote for and their worldview. Uh, look, I'm a host of a podcast. I write a column. Everybody knows where I'm coming from. So I'm a lifelong Democratic voter, and I've seen the Democratic Party's, next to me, the most loyal voters the Democratic Party has, black women. And I just don't understand how the Democrats can continue to overlook uh, the support they've received from black women. But it was so obvious in Alabama, I don't know if you remember that election from 2018 when Doug Jones was uh, defeated Roy Moore. And so I just feel as though this is a moment where Joe Biden you know, could sort of make, uh, you don't really make good on how he handled Anita Hill, but it, it, it's just like a sign of appreciation. So that's generally how uh, I view it. Do you share some of those same feelings? I, I, I do share some of those feelings. And I think that, that uh, I mean, that's why I think Harris is probably the, a smarter pick than, than, uh, than Abrams because Harris does have her, her, <clears throat> her electoral bona fides and, uh, People know her, I think, a lot better than they know Abrams. And, you know, Abrams, like, like I say, I, I find her an impressive person. I see her interviewed and so on. But uh, I think uh, Kamala Harris is really ready to, ready to go. So I, I, would, I would guess that's, the, that's where the pick's going to go. And I wanted to, you know, you, you brought up this idea of, the, of, you know, you're identified politically in a certain way. I certainly am also in the columns that I write. Uh, it, it brings up this point. I don't know if you've been following this, all this fighting about Amy Jacobson. 
They've been following up. Oh, my God. I'd love to talk with you, by the way. I talked about it uh, for quite a while with uh, Ramana Hussein and the earlier show, which hasn't dropped yet. Oh, okay. So, but yeah, get your thought. Why don't you explain oh, to people the, what the background is, and then we'll take it from there. Well, just real quickly, the background is that, that, you know, Amy Jacobson was a longtime TV reporter for Channel 5, and then she had a, a, an ethical problem, and she moved over to WIND, the conservative talk radio station. I think for the last 10 years or so, she's been a sidekick to Dan Cross, who is a, who is a conservative activist who has a morning talk show on that station. And she has been had been appearing at, uh, or virtually, she'd been appearing at the uh, news conferences with Pritzker. And submitting questions, and the questions were were kind of aggressive and self-centered and kind of strange. And and uh, then she she spoke at a rally last I want to say last Saturday, but she spoke at a rally where she uh, uh, was leading the, these open up Illinois protesters and calling for you know. And and so then after that, the uh, president, uh, sorry, the, the governor's spoke to them and said, you know, no, we're not, we're not going to take your questions anymore. You're, you're not a member of the media. This is a news conference. It's not a media. It's not a, an activist conference. And I thought that and there's a lot of bellyaching on the, on the right about this, saying that you know, these are First Amendment rights, and this is the governor being uh, heavy-handed. And there were some people on the left who were agreeing, too, that this is, the governor should not be deciding who gets to ask the questions. But my view on that is that... that um, there's a difference between an activist and a journalist. And I, and I can, you know, in my case and probably your case as well, I can, I can write columns all day long about how I think Rauner's a bomb, J.B. Pritzker's the, was the guy to vote for. I can't put a bumper sticker on my car. I certainly can't go introduce Pritzker at a, at a rally. I can't put a sign in my yard. It's just, it's just, that's where the line gets drawn. And she should have understood that. She didn't, I guess she didn't understand it. I guess a lot of people on her side don't understand it, but, that's the, we don't have, it's not a news conference that's open to everybody. It's not a news conference that's open to activists. It's, it's a news conference that's open to people who are acting as journalists. And even opinion journalists are welcome there. John Cass gets his questions. I have no problem with John Cass getting his questions. I think he should be able to. He's a working member of the media. Um, and I have no problem with, with you or me getting our questions in there. But but uh, that really, that really uh, I thought, crossed the line. And, that's, that's where I came down on it. Where did you guys come down? Well, I uh, I'm all over the map with this one. Is uh, the part <laughs> typical me? The part that really irritated me the most. I didn't know about the story. I'm late to learn this story, uh, Eric. So, uh, you know, when Ramon and I were talking about what issues we we were going to review, she you know, she mentioned that. So I had to look it up. I was a little behind at times. I must confess. So the part that really irritated me. And I don't, I don't know Amy Jacobson. I've never met Amy Jacobson. I'm going to preface by that. I've never heard her show. I'm definitely no fan of Dan Proft, uh, who is her sidekick, apparently. But the part that irritated me is that she would show up at a rally where people are flapping signs with swastikas on it. See, that's the part of the Republican Party I don't get. So if Amy Jacobson or Danny Proft want to be Republican, that's their, you know, they, that they identify with the MAGA hat. Donald Trump's their guy. They revere him. Okay, I get that. You have to take a stand, in my humble opinion, and you can you, you should take a stand and denounce the people who are waving swastikas at your rallies and confront the fact that the Republican Party has allowed itself to merge with far-right lunatics, Nazis, swastika wavers, yeah. 
And no, I, I give, yeah, I give, I give uh, the, Jim Durkin credit, the Illinois House Republican leader. He he confronted one of the sign waivers in Springfield this week. I mean, he's like, he he said like, this is not acceptable. This does not represent my, me or my party. I thought that was really an important. Thing I, for I, I and I did. I gave him actually gave him, I me of all people been ripping Jim Durkin for all these years because he was uh, Bruce Rauner's legislative leader uh, when they were sailing unions, and everybody knows I love unions. But I, I'm with you, Eric. I applauded Jim Durkin, and I will always uh, like give him a little break now. <laughs> Even when he was assailing the uh, uh, yesterday with the vote on uh, by mail balloting, and he was you know leading the charge against it as a Republican. I guess that's the talking point they have to follow these days. Uh, uh, but um, I have to give him credit, and so that's the part about Amy Jacobs I don't get. You know. You want to go ask questions of J.B. Pritzker, but and you want to re- talk at rallies where they got the swastika? Don't you know that J.B. Pritzker's Jewish? Don't you know that he has family members who were killed in the Holocaust? Don't you realize how offensive that is? And how disgusting that is? And you're worried you're sobbing over he, the fact that he wouldn't let you ask a question? That's what's on your mind? Yeah, you know well, I mean, I... I- I, I totally agree. On, on the other hand, I mean, I, I think even if there weren't those signs there, even if there weren't all that that Nazi imagery and symbolism going on, it was it's not appropriate to lead a rally. That's not what we do. It's, I mean, as as much as you go on your podcast or write your column, I do the same thing to advance points of view. We're not activists, uh, and once we cross the line into that, then we then we our whole definition changes who we are and what we, what our role is. Well, well, I don't know how absolute this, because I will now give a sample, an example, uh, alluding to one of the giants of our industry, a man that I revered when I was growing up, uh, my probably number one favorite journalist of all time, Mike Royko. And I believe it was in 1981... Uh, or 1980, around there, and I, I can't remember where when it was exactly, so forgive me if I have the wrong year. Mike Royko led an anti-gun rally, an anti-handgun rally in Daly Plaza. He, I believe he was still working for the Sun-Times, Eric. It was not the Tribune. He was, if it was 81, it was the Sun-Times. It was the yeah. Sun-Times. I remember Cloris Leachman spoke. I went to the rally. I remember Bill Veck. God bless Bill Veck was at that rally. He used to own, for our younger listeners, he owned the White Sox, uh, and he was quite a maverick. And there were protesters, to the point I was making about Amy Jacobson, there were protesters in Nazi uniforms uh, across the street, like they were counter protesters, and Vec ripped down their banner. I love Bill Vec, and he, you know, he fought in World War II, and he's, I guess they have a First Amendment right, but he didn't see it that way, or he ripped down the. So, I don't know if it's as absolute as she does not have the right to speak at a rally and then pretend she's a journalist. I don't know why she would. She's just doing that to embarrass uh, uh, Pritzker. So we all know what that's all about. You know what I'm saying? So, but I don't know how. So, what's your thoughts about Mike Royko leading a, a, a handgun, an anti handgun rally? So I, had, I was in town in '81, and, but I don't remember that. And I don't think it was the right thing to do. I don't think that you do that as a journalist. I think that you, you cover a rally, you write columns that they may read at the rally, but I don't think you lead a rally. 
still say that you're a journalist. Now, obviously, you're right. Mike Royko is uh, is uh, in the pantheon of great American journalists, and so you've argued me right into a corner. But uh, <laughs> I still, have, I, 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 he could not he could not have gotten away with that working at the Tribune today or any time. one of our one of our foreign correspondents got in a ton of trouble for speaking at a rally uh, in uh, in Canada. He was he was our Canadian correspondent back when we had foreign correspondents. And and he was he was not even speaking. Uh, it was a rally. It was like you know some sort of maybe anti-immigration or something like that. But but he just gave a speech and they said, "Can you come and just and just explain to everybody what's going on in the in Parliament, or whatever they have in Canada?" <laughs> so and so he just got up and he gave a speech about about what was going on. He didn't advocate for any position, but this was covered in the Canadian press. It got back to our editors and they were just furious. Mm-hmm. I think they may have suspended him or certainly it was certainly a huge issue. And uh so I don't I don't think that was right what Michael did. May he rest in peace. May he rest he's the greatest. By one more example to t- talk you in a corner. Uh this is could be like a civics lesson. Uh another legendary Chicago journalist that I revered when I was growing up, I don't know if you shared my reverence for him, uh would be Irv Cupsonit who was known as Cup, who's a gossip column for the uh, Sun-Times for many, many years. Uh, he was the master of ceremonies at a soldier field rally in the 60s that was organized by Martin Luther King calling for uh, civil rights and uh, uh, open housing in the Chicago. Cup was the master of ceremonies. And I think about this a lot, uh, Eric. This is the 60s. I kind of like really respect Cup immensely. Because he did that, you know, but by today's rules, that too would be off. Yeah, Cup is an interesting case, though, because Cup Cup was almost more of a celebrity with a column in a way. I mean, he he wasn't, you know, I don't know where Cup fits into into journalism. He did break stories. There's no question about that. uh, and of course, it's like you, you've made it really hard because civil rights is such a. I mean, every. I mean, I, people still argue about guns. I don't think serious people argue anymore about civil rights. Um, at least they shouldn't be. Uh, so that, you you put me in another trick bag, of course. I, but standards were, I think, somewhat different back in the sixties. Is how we look at Eccleston. Um, so. I don't know. Okay, so you've got two points. <laughs> Your favorite. <laughs> I struggle with these things, Eric. Uh, no, I. You know, no, I, 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 I'm glad I was going to write about this for Sunday, and I, I didn't have room for it, and wasn't clear that I had anything new to say about that. And I'm glad I didn't, because then people would have been throwing cup and wait, Royko in there. There's only one person in the city of Chicago who would have thrown it at you, and you're talking to him right now. I can <laughs> guarantee you there's – I'm Rain Man when it comes to things like there's Nobody else remembers that handgun rally. Uh, I was there because, I, I, first of all, I idolized Mike Royko. Uh, and then just seeing Bill Vec there, just who I also idolized. And, and Cloris Leachman gave a very – Kind of, I don't know if anybody knows close. She's an actress, a very good actress, by the way. Uh, and she, I think she was in town. She was doing some play in Chicago, so she spoke out and she started talking about sugar. She kind of went off on a tangent about diet and how um, too much sugar causes an imbalance and that leads to aggression. It was like, okay, you know, that's not the kind of speech you're going to get at normal uh, gun rallies or anti-gun rallies. So anyway, it was uh, it's it's on my mind. Um, uh, all right, let's move on to uh, a column. Uh, 
uh, that you wrote uh, last week or maybe the week before. I can't remember which. I've been talking a lot about this and get your thoughts on this. Darren Bailey, the downstate Republican uh, who's decided to become the uh, public face of the resistance to J.B. Pritzker's stay-at-home order. Uh, he's gone to court to challenge it, to have it ruled unconstitutional for a while. Uh, no, he, he, th- he said he would not wear a mask, even though uh, Michael Madigan uh, insisted that all, all state reps had to wear masks when they convened uh, for their first meeting since the, the pandemic. And you wrote a column that I was cheering uh, that you said he should be uh, barred. What's your thoughts now uh, in the aftermath of all that, of Darren Bailey and his great revolt against Pritzker? Well, as as you know, he did go in on Wednesday to the opening day of the session. He wasn't wearing a mask. And then one of the first things that they did from the chair was they made a motion to adopt these new rules, these new special pandemic rules for the session that's in this uh, convention arena. I guess it's in the Bank of Springfield Arena or something like that down there. And uh, so they, they can all keep their distance. They made the rule that you got to wear a mask. And then someone made a motion that, that Bailey be ousted. And they basically, I think they voted pretty much along party line to oust him. And, of course, Democrats got 15, no, 30-vote majority in the, in the uh, I forget what it is. It's a huge majority of the House. And they just voted him out. And he didn't make a scene. I mean, I was expecting he might go limp and they can drag him out or something like that. But he walked out waving and smiling and then he came back on thursday wearing a mask and you know my point about masks is that that if if these guys and i I, you know i sympathize a a lot with people who are very frustrated about the economic dislocation of this uh of of lockdown rules and problems that people are having with it it's not it's not people say oh they just want to get a haircut or or they want to be able to go to applebee's i think there are a lot of people who feel like this is really impacting their it is impacting their work uh, their ability to make a living, and uh, it's, it's bothering them in a lot of different ways. If we want to end this lockdown, the sooner we all wear masks, the sooner we all adhere to some of these common sense guidelines they have that don't infringe on any sacred freedoms, uh, then the sooner we can get back to normal life. And the more we have people like Darren Bailey not wearing masks, insisting on their rights to go and gather in great groups of people people who gathered in the in the taverns up in Wisconsin immediately after the Supreme Court ruling up there, that's just going to prolong this problem. It's, I mean, you're going to be podcasting from your attic for many months more, <laughs> and I'm going to be writing yeah. columns from my attic for many months more. And it's like, you know, that that's what's just infuriating about it. It's, it's that these guys are actually hurting their own cause by not doing this. And if, they, and if, if Donald Trump would wear a mask and tell people to wear masks, then they would wear masks because they do what he they do what he tells them. Yeah, they don't wear masks because you know I feel like this is a sign. If you wear a mask, you're, you're a sign that you don't like Trump or you don't believe in Trump. And if you if you go barefaced, you're a Trump supporter. And that's you know this the, the way that this issue, this pandemic, has been polarized is making it worse. It's making it the recovery slower, and that's what I just want to get through the thick heads of some of these people who are who are fighting on every little point. And I don't know, it, 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 I was really glad to see that the Democrats handled it the way they did and glad to see that he came back with the mask the next day. And I also was glad to see that somehow they got a photo of Trump wearing a mask Thursday when he was touring the uh, the factory in Michigan. Yeah. So, uh, very bizarre. Uh, this 
uh, Republican revulsion to wearing the mask. Now, you raised a complaint I thought about. It begins with Trump. So if Trump put on the mask, uh, D.B. Dara Bailey would probably put on the mask as well because you're absolutely correct. They just follow the leader with Donald Trump. That's where their party is going. Uh, if, if Trump openly denounced Nazis and people who have uh, swastikas on their signs, then the Republican, maybe Amy Jacobson, would suddenly realize that being a Nazi is not a nice thing, and she would denounce that. So you're right. Uh, maybe that's what it takes uh, Donald Trump to tell them because he's their, their ruler. Uh, what's your sense of well, – first of all, what was the reaction that you got from Republicans – uh, Republican readers when uh, you you ran that piece? Well, as you know, there are always going to be these studies that you can find where someone will say wearing masks doesn't do any good or doesn't do much good. And I realize that the science, if you wear a mask, you're not fully protected. And I never said that. And I don't think any serious person that says that if you wear a mask, you don't think it's going to keep you safe for sure. It cuts down on the transmission. It means that the 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 virality of, of COVID-19 becomes lower. It doesn't spread as easily when people are wearing masks. That that's, seems to be the, the pretty broad consensus in science. But you can always find some study where somebody says it doesn't do any good at all. And so people were sending me those studies. And then there's the usual hate mail, you know, like you're a coward and you're a meaning liberal and, you know, this kind of thing. <laughs> you're a coward. The usual. A coward. Yeah. Uh, we've had one of our guests, uh, Candace Castillo, who opine that the reason, the revolt against uh, Trump, excuse me, uh, the revolt against Democratic governors uh, and their stay-at-home orders really kicked into gear after the first articles came out noting that the black mortality rate is higher than the white one when it came to COVID. And anything is possible, Eric. It could be in some people's mind that they've jumped to a conclusion that only black people have to worry this about this. The absolute opposite was opined for a while before the pandemic hit home. I don't know if you were following this. There were like these little uh, messages on Facebook going around that this is a disease that won't hit black people. I mean, utter insanity in America right now. Do you follow what I'm saying? We're like these racial uh, distinctions about COVID. Do you buy anything into that theory about people, Trump supporters somehow or other don't think this disease will affect them? I don't think that they think it won't affect them as such. I think there's a, a perception that it does not hit people who live in rural areas and it doesn't hit young people. I mean, you can't, you can't deny that you, we've had close to 100,000 deaths in this uh, in this country, and what, something like close. To, we're getting up on 5,000 deaths in Illinois. I don't think you can deny that, but but it is heavily concentrated among older people, and it's heavily concentrated among uh, uh, people in these in the more densely populated urban areas, and also it's concentrated among among African Americans. And so, I do think that that consciously or subconsciously, you have people who are who think to themselves, well. You know, this is a disease that's hitting old black people in Chicago. It's not hitting middle-aged white people in, you know, Vermilion County or whatever. So, so, and I don't know if they're if they're actively thinking that or if it's just a sense that they have. So that changes the way they they uh, engage with the with the with the whole issue. Uh, and finally, we'll close with this uh, column you wrote uh, about the. F- the newly elected president of the Fraternal Order Police, uh, John Catanzara, 
give you a lot of credit for uh, this one, Eric. Uh, it takes some guts uh, to write the kind of column you wrote in this particular case. Uh, you very strongly uh, denounced him. Uh, he uh, is a Trump supporter, among other things. You did not you did not denounce him on that front, but on his uh, his record against him. I know. I know that if a reporter in this town takes a strong stand against the leader of the Fraternal Order Police, you're going to get backlash. You're going to get emails, uh, and they can be kind of intimidating. Let's be honest. It's one thing to make fun of Darren Bailey, uh, which I do all the time, but it's another thing to criticize a police officer uh, or the head of the Fraternal Order Police, you know, People have guns. People have the power to arrest you. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, your concerns about Catanzara as the head of the Fraternal Order of Police. And f- before we do that, have you gotten any kind of like hostile response or threatening responses uh, in the aftermath of that uh, column? Hostile, yes. Threatening, no. Um, the um, I, I've heard something I heard that surprised me after that was that I did hear from people who were uh, some police officers who told me that they shared my feeling that he wasn't the right guy, that he was sending the wrong message. I, I'm not sure that they had the same visceral reaction I do to him. And just to refresh memory, he, I mean, he's been on the, in the force since the 90s and he's got 50 uh you know, misconduct complaints against him. Ten of them have been sustained, and uh, and also, you know, he, and, he, and he's right now he's he's not a, a, a he's been relieved of his police powers because he filed some nonsense report against uh, against Eddie Johnson for when, when he was uh, when he was when Eddie Johnson was uh, overseeing the protests where Father Flager and some people blocked the Kennedy Expressway for a short time. Mm-hmm. And and so he's got this, this this long and sort of unpleasant record, and and he's a blowhard. He shows up in city council meetings. He's wearing, you know, the the, the cops the like to call a mayor uh, Lightfoot Groot. You know that you you seen that? Mm-hmm. Where you know, he, I guess I guess I think she resembles this character in the Marvel comic world. I'm not sure where where it's from, but uh, you know they they you know they want a name calling. He's part of this whole really really uh, uh, angry faction of police officers who uh who hate the media and uh feel like every time every time we write about cops they it's always to, to criticize them for doing something wrong and you know my point is yeah we, we we don't write that often or often enough maybe about cops who do great things but but part of our job is to monitor them and make sure that when they when they do step out of line we write about it i don't, I don't have any i don't apologize so I, what, you know, my bottom line with with Kanzara was, you know, you have a guy with this kind of bad record. He, he sort of represents kind of the worst of of, of what police officers are. I mean, he's like a, almost a caricature of a blowhard, bad cop, kind of a clownishly bad cop. And they elected him to run their union, and I think that's that's it's bad for the image of police officers, and it's not going to help them in their contract negotiations. And they've been what close to three years now without a contract. And to, to negotiate a contract, you've got to have some level of respect and trust across the table. And when you've got a guy who's, who's wearing insulting shirts to city council meetings and has a disciplinary record like this guy has, uh, you're not helping your cause. And it's just, and some, some police officer wrote to me and said, well, this is just an expression of our anger at not having a contract. 
and how we feel we've been disrespected by the city for, for all this time. So this is a sort of them giving the finger mm-hmm. to the city and giving the finger to the media at the same time. And anybody else is going to tell them who's going to represent them. And who isn't. So, you know, that was, it was, it was their Donald Trump in a way it was mm-hmm. them. I mean, you know, you think about it, Donald Trump was a completely uh, inappropriate person to elect president. I mean, and I say this, I say this in an almost a nonpartisan way. I mean, he had none of the experience or the policy chops or anything that you would want in the president, but he expressed anger, an anger that people felt, and, and that's that propelled him to victory. And I think that happened with Kanzara as well. Wow, he, just, I, he was, he was a, a vehicle for their anger. So. Uh, yeah, I have to say this: uh, I absolutely with the cops. They should have a, a, a contract, and it's ridiculous the politics that the the of the police contracts and fire contracts in the city of Chicago and how this is not just something that emerged right now uh, in the era of uh, Lori Lightfoot and Donald Trump. This is something that's gone on for years. I can just remember so many times contracts expiring and then cops getting the retro pay. I remember back in 2009 here, um, uh, more Rain Man memories for you, Eric. The police, I know 2007, the police officer, I was cheering him on, the Fraternal Order Police, when they rallied at City Hall against Mayor Daley's Olympics because they didn't have a contract. And it was a, it was a, quite a, it was quite a turnout at City Hall, and I was I was with them because I was against the Olympics. Uh, so this is this this goes back in time. The way mayors dawdle on these things, you know, they're playing games with their budgets. Um, so I don't know. I think it's a little. I'm just going to disagree. Whoever wrote that with you, it's. I think it goes beyond a response to contract. The way the politics of way mayors deal with contracts. When I think when you elect as the head of the Fraternal Order Police, a man who's openly in supporting Donald Trump in a city that voted 80% against Donald Trump, at least. I'm just doing it off the top of my head, Eric. 80 to 85, whatever it was, if they voted for Hillary Clinton. It'll probably be higher in this election. Then you're kind of setting yourself up for, I don't know, bad optics, rough PR. Um, well, I, I, I think as you know, and as most unions know, when you're in, especially public unions, when you're involved in negotiations, as teachers found us out too, there is obviously there's the there's the, the dollars and cents the nitty gritty of the contract negotiations, but there's also the public relations angle too. And it's like you want the public on your side, and when and and so that's a lot of the maneuvering that you saw during the teacher strike was whose side are you on? You saw polls being taken. You saw a lot of conversation. I side with the teachers. I side with the city, uh, uh, or I side with the, you know, the, the CPS. That that's important because when if the if the negotiators on the on the, on the school side in that case feel like the pressure's on them from the public, open schools, give the teachers what they want. These demands are reasonable. This is a reasonable group of people. We respect them. We admire them. We like them. That pressure is going to change the negotiation versus if you've got a, a guy who is, who is an open Trump supporter, who is uh, you know, a loudmouth, insulting guy with a bad disciplinary record, he's not going to represent your interests very well. And that's why I thought it was just, it was not it was not a smart move for the cops to elect him. That was my take on it. So I guess we'll see. Maybe he'll maybe he'll have the force of personality to enact a great contract. Yeah, I you know, know, I doubt it. Yeah, who knows? Maybe he'll be like Nixon going to uh, China. All of a sudden, he'll uh, have a reproachment with the left in the Chicago. We'll close with this. Any updates about the Tribune? I know the Tribune, the Reader, the Sun Times. We're all hanging in there uh, in these dire times. Uh, all union. I think we're all members of the same union. Uh, how are things going at the Tribune? They're not going very well. 
we this just this week the dreaded hedge fund took over control of our board and they will then, I guess they are sort of locked into place until the end of June, at which point they can begin swinging their side. Uh, we are, it, the, our union just negotiated with management for every, every union member is going to have to take three unpaid furlough weeks this summer, uh, one a month in May, June, and July. And, and that was, you know, we talked them down from a permanent pay cut. Which, which, um, you know, so, so, so that's where we are right now. Um, and I think that things, as I've told people, I said, if this is as bad as things get, I'll be surprised and that'll be good because, because it's, it's doable and not missing three months, missing three weeks of pay is, is doable, at least for me and I think for most of the people on the staff, if that's all it is. But I think it's just the beginning. You see these media cuts everywhere. And I, I feel like, you know, we're all in this together. We're all, facing the same sort of problems with advertising drying up and, and uh, we have a lot of readers still but we don't have the advertisers and uh, I think that the problems that management is facing are real but but uh, at the same time uh, you know you don't want to take these publications that are so important to the city and all you know the readers sometimes contributing all together a very important part of the city and the coverage that's provided if you start just taking those and, and showing them off the parts or, just, or, or destroying them, you put a lot of issues that aren't going to get covered. A lot of politicians, and, they, and the politicians will love it because they can get away with much more stuff with them if the eyes aren't on them. So it's, uh, it's, it's a tough time, and I know it feels a little bit self-involved to talk about it. Um, but, but I think as, as institutions, these are really important institutions to save, and I, and I hope that somehow we can all <laughs> struggle through this. No, That's I, where uh, we are. yeah, you sounds like you're in the same position. I may uh, ask Charlie Johnson and Mary Wisniewski to come back and show and talk about it a little, at greater length. I uh, love having them on anyway. But uh, I, I used to laugh, uh, joke about um, the people at BEZ, they would have to make those appeals. And now I realize I'm doing it all the time myself because uh, that's how we survive, particularly at the reader right now. So, um, I'm with you, uh, and I, I understand what the people at the Tribune are going through. So let's hope uh, we can all get out of this uh, with our jobs and with the people doing their jobs. Eric, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. Yeah. Keep up the good work, all right? Great talking to you. That's thanks the, a lot. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. That's great, Eric Zorn. Seems like we're thinking alike a lot these days. Take care, everybody.